0: You have your Bibles, and I hope you do. You should never go to church without your Bible. If you go to a church that doesn't need a Bible, you need to find a different church. Think, think, think. There you go. Okay, turn to 1 John, if you will. Got some things in here I'd like us to look at for the next several weeks and I realize some of you are pretty skeptical about maybe if I will be able to finish an actual book but I'm going to do my it's short okay so that's my idea is I'm going to be able to finish the first John anyway there's much that I have as a way of uh, interest when it comes to first John especially as I've been reading it lately and I think one of the things that's come up to me personally as I look into this book, is the fact that uh, it is a book that tells us much about Jesus Christ and how he practically works inside of us. But there's also another theme here that's happening in the first two chapters, and this is prefaced by the word walk. 1 John is concerned much with how we live our Christian life. Now, as you get past chapter 2, it goes into much detail about how to deal and combat certain things that are coming up. And In John's day, I believe dealing with the Emperor Trajan, which was a horrific man, uh, not only was there open persecution and things, but also there was a, a very hard push on behalf of what they call the, uh, the cessationists, if you will, those who sec- seceded from the church, that's what they called them, they no longer believed that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man because they had bought into the ancient heresy of Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism has many different avenues with which it can be defined. But the core of Gnosticism okay is this that that Jesus was truly a man a real human but the Christ okay they separated the Christ the Christ the spirit of Christ came up on him at his baptism and then left him when just before he died upon the cross okay and then Another, a little bit more extreme version of Gnosticism to this degree is the fact that Jesus was merely an illusion. He really wasn't flesh. Now, the two things that combine these two ideas of Gnosticism together is the tenet of Gnosticism that says that all matter is evil. Okay, and God would would never occupy evil matter. So then Jesus was some kind of an ethereal object that had to have the whole time been separated from the spirit, so as to not compromise that purity. But as we read in First John chapter one, verses one through four, John writes that which was from the beginning which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and then notice what he says, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also or that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus, or with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. First John was written by John, who wrote the book of John, as well as 2nd and 3rd John, okay, and... First John here that we're reading verses 1 through 4, as we're going to see in a minute, is a parallel of John chapter 1, okay? It's, it's really incredible, but it's important that we understand even in 2021, okay, it's getting so high, so many numbers, but um, it's important that we have a, a correct view of Jesus also which is why we're going to go through the Dane Ortlund study, Gentle and Lowly, and this happens to play into it a little bit today. But I have another book that I have been reading from Douglas Macmillan called Jesus, Power Without Measure. Another Scottish work, okay? And this is probably the premier work on Jesus in his humanity as he was sustained and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Mind-boggling. It's not a very thick book, but it takes a while to read. But here's some thoughts that Douglas MacMillan laid out. Two thoughts are absolutely basic and fundamental to the biblical teaching on Christ. Now, pay attention here. Two thoughts are basic and fundamental to the biblical teaching on Christ. Jesus, although genuinely human, was also a divine person. Again, remember the Gnostic heresies? Jesus was both, okay? Jesus was the anointed servant of the Lord. It is precisely to this second thought, that of his servanthood and the conditions intrinsic to it, such as subordination or dependence or need, which have made people draw back more instinctively. In other words, we're really quick and good to talk about Jesus in his divinity, he was God. But when we start talking about Jesus as the servant of the Lord, which the Bible directs us to an understanding, and the conditions that were intrinsic to him in his subordination to the Father, the wheels begin to get wobbly because we're afraid that somehow we're going to pull away or detract from Jesus being fully God. And so the consequence of that then is, is that in our attempt to preserve his full deity, we have digressed a bit on his full humanity. And we've been unrelatable sometimes to what he actually went through on this earth. When we say out of the book of Hebrews that in all points he was tempted yet without sin, do we realize what we're saying? Think about that. So Macmillan goes on to say the reason is simply this Jesus was just as truly human as he was divine. He was man as well as God. He was the God man. But as man, he was also servant. He was God's son and he was God. But for the purposes of our salvation, he became one with us. But not without, But he was without our sin nature in that regard. He Well, let me go back. That really gets fuzzy there, doesn't it? But uh, he did not sin. His oneness with us did not cancel out his oneness with God. Incarnation did not involve any denial of his deity. He became what he was not, said Augustine but did not cease to be what he was. To deny or diminish the full humanity of the Savior is, after all, just as unbiblical, just as heretical, and just as wrong as it is to deny his full deity. The doctrine of the work of the Spirit in Christ will help to keep a proper balance and perspective in our thinking about Christ. Here's how I've kind of brought this down into my own mind because now we're, we're getting a hold of some really big things here when it comes to talking about Jesus. <clears throat> he became, well, look in Philippians 2, 5, 11, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but notice this, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I'm going to talk this little, a minute and then I'll finish this verse. Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became in the likeness of flesh. He had a sin nature and the capacity to sin. But unlike us, he was not pre-programmed to only sin. You have to go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve were created with the ability, obviously, to sin. And up until that point, they had not. Right? So the tempter came and said, yada, 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 eat the fruit. Okay? Adam's standing by the whole time going, yeah, why don't you just do it? Why well, I was told not to, but it doesn't really matter. And things begin to really go sideways in a hurry. He did not protect his wife, okay? Men, let me just say, I'm so happy that some of you are strapping lads and are so willing to lay down your life physically for your wife because you have guns. That's cool. And big fists, maybe even. Muscles, but they'll fade. Um, <laughs> thanks, Adam. Uh, the thing that you need to protect her most from is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of the world. The spirit of the flesh. The wicked one. That's going to attack her far more often than some bully coming through the car window or seeing her on the street. And this next part I'm going to say is rough because many times that enemy can present himself in you. So gentlemen, it is imperative that you keep yourself fully thrust upon the altar of grace in order to live your mandate. So protect your wife spiritually. Look what Adam didn't do. And look where we are. Okay? Our first federal head failed. Our second one did not. He had the sin nature. He had not been pre-programmed to just sin, but he chose to, death spread to all men. God comes in human form. Jesus the Christ came fulfilled in in flesh. Obviously, he had the capacity to sin, or he would not have been tempted, but he wasn't pre-programmed to only sin. So then we have the perfect substitute for our sin. Why do you think that all of the temptations that Jesus ever received were to exert his Godhead? Why do you think all that the devil wanted to do was foul up redemption by saying, just turn the rocks to bread, we know you can. And in that moment, Jesus would have used his divine prerogative and stepped outside of us Suddenly, we can't relate. There is no perfect sacrifice now. But Jesus lived in his humanity a sinless life. But he was tempted. But he did not sin. And he showed us what it's like to be dependent upon the Father through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit every day. Therefore, okay, therefore, we have a Savior who can relate to us and say, I know how you feel, but don't be discouraged. I've overcome the world for you. Come to me. Lay your burden down. Then again, that's why that Dane Ortland book is so powerful because it redresses these things. Notice what the rest of the verse says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus would have turned the rocks to bread, if if Jesus, Jesus would have succumbed to any one of the temptations that had been presented to him by Satan, there wouldn't be that last part. You can take that last part away. But he didn't succumb. And so now he's called the captain of our salvation. Now, this is where you may want to shout, okay? We not only have a perfect high priest, but we have a captain who has passed through the heavenly places. And he stands now at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. He pleased, He's our advocate. And he say, you know, that one, that one's mine. Though they be a little rough, my blood has covered them. Amen. And they are a work in progress. And if you think they look like that, now you wait till I'm finished with them. Now you, can, now you can shout on that, right? That, I mean, that's where your prayer closet becomes really bright, is when you begin to focus on what your captain has done, okay? Now, this next verse is what I was thinking of when I was thinking about this. In Joshua chapter five, the theophany of Joshua five thirteen through 15, and it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. That hasn't changed. Okay. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Well, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Any mind remember where that happened before. Anyone remember where that happened before? Anyone remember Moses before the burning bush? And then we have this man standing there with the sword. And he says, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And he's standing there ready to fight our battle. And Joshua was so busy fighting everything himself that he had to identify who this was. And then when he said, you need to take your your sandal off, he fell. Because that's what we do. It's an exchanged life. But I didn't say it was an easy one. Now, if you go on and you read Joshua, Joshua had to go on and do some fighting. But there's something you have to understand that is very uh, essential to the Christian life. Like 1 John is saying here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have handled concerning the word of life, we don't have a faith based in a theory or some kind of machination of some brilliant writer. We have a very real person. We have the God-man. He is the commander of the armies of the Lord in Joshua. And in the New Testament, and now, today, right now, at this day, the 2021 day, okay, He is with us on the inside, and He stands... And His sword is His word. And it goes out of His mouth into our heart and into our heart and out of us. It is a conveyance of His very real presence. He was not just a spirit. He was not just a man. He was the God-man. And that, that really scrambles hell's imagination altogether. It doesn't know what to do with it. Take your sandal off your foot for the place where you stand is holy. If you remember me talking about Amalek, which we often refer to as the flesh nowadays, taking advantage of us when we're less than strong, taking advantage of us when we're down, always wanting to keep us down and then shame us, that's Amalek. You don't walk alone in that the commander of the army of the Lord is there to fight your battles. So, here's the struggle. When you think of Jesus, and and you say, well, if Jesus did this, well, of course He did, He was God. You've missed it. You have just completely slid off of it right there. Yes, Jesus didn't succumb. But in that narrative, when he was here on this earth, and even still today, he is the God-man. He knows how you feel. He knows how you struggle. He knows... Okay, we often think of the temptations that Jesus faced as being merely physical. But can you imagine the, uh, the psychological war that was happening during a 40 day in the middle of a hot blazing desert time what about the extreme fatigue that he experienced people thronging him all day coming to him to be healed coming him to him to ask questions and not That's not even counting all of those religious leaders who were constantly needling him, trying to set him up and trick him and get him to say something that was in opposition to the law that he said he came to fulfill. All the time, the psychological... How many of you ever get stressed out? I'm stressed out. I mean, I'm not very tough. I've determined I'm not. Physical strength is, man, if you've, got, if you've got spiritual and emotional strength, you're a tower. Physical strength, that goes, you know, you don't eat a little bit and you're not doing too well, right? But the stress of life and Amalek comes along and says, you are so bad. God is so sick of you. Here you go again. You can't even pray effectively. You always start off good. You always end up the same way. You are scum. (laughs) And your commander says, look at me. I keep thinking about when Peter got out of that boat and walked to Jesus on the water. Jesus didn't even go, come on. Peter just kind of was in a, I'm going to come to you. And on his way, he began to look at the waves. And we've heard so many sermons on that, right? But it's true. You can imagine how big they were. We all think it was a very nice, placid place, but it wasn't. Up, I mean, I guess stairs have steps. I don't know. It's up and then it's down, you know. And Jesus was walking on that. And Peter said, I want to come to you because that's how we love the Lord. And we set out to serve. And then the noise and the darkness and the evil and just coming in. And Jesus, he begins... Peter began to sing and Jesus said, grabs him by, now notice he grabs him by the hand first. Because the Lord will never let it be for his child as bad as it could be. It's never as bad for you as it could be because of who your commander is. And then he pulls him up and he says, why'd you doubt? I don't know, because, because, because I'm weak. And he puts him in the boat, and then they were at the land, because that's just what Jesus does. Man, if you can figure it good or bad as it's going to play out, he isn't going to do it any, either of those ways. Because he's going to have the glory. Now let me look with you, with if you will, to John chapter 1. You probably can't read that. But you can sure turn in your Bible. I'm, I'm going to read it though. If you want to put one finger in John 1 verses 1 through 3 and some following verses. And then 1 John 1, 1 through 4. I just want you to see the similarities between these. First of all, don't forget, John wrote both. Okay. Now what? And, and you can see what John's main emphasis is. Jesus was not just a spirit that sometimes was in the body and sometimes wasn't. He was the real God-man. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made uh, through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, if you go over here to 1 John 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Can you see the cross, the, the, the back and forth? And then he goes on in verse 14 on the left again, In the, well, my, you're right. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The life was manifested. And we have seen and bear witness. And declare to you that eternal life. Which was with the Father. And was manifested to us. Can you see where John was focusing this? this Jesus, yes. He's eternal God. But He put on sarks Now, You don't know what that is. But sarx in the Greek is simply the word for flesh. It just means skin and bones and guts and blood and sinews. Okay? (laughs) Yeah, I know, it's weird. Sinews. It's all the cartilage and stuff. And of his fullness we have all received. And notice this. Grace for grace, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship. Notice, and of His fullness we have received, and over here we have fellowship. That's what we have in Christ. It's not the res- it's not a, a sort of a something that's here a little bit and then gone. It's it's an intrinsic characteristic of being born again in Christ is this fellowship. Koinonia. It's fellowship. We, we don't just come into it now. When we have Jesus in us, it's all the time. So you can see the exchange here. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And then it says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then I like how he ends First John here. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And they said, There's one thing the devil doesn't want you to have is joy. Boy, I, tell you, oh, I messed up. I got to go back. I don't know how to do that. Oh, here we go. Yes. Sorry, everybody. I went too fast. Here's what I want, just, just by way of just kind of going through this, here's what I kind of broke this down at. First, Verse 1 of 1 John, we see Jesus as our everlasting commander. The second thing that I want us to see is He is our eternal life-giving commander. So you, you're not just gaining a leader. You're gaining a leader that gives you eternal life. And in case you forgot what that means is, it means this. If you know Jesus, you will never die. Your body will. But you have to understand, it's just one part of you. The very temporal part of you. You will not die. And then thirdly, he is our evident and existent commander. He wasn't just a spirit. He didn't just come and go. He wasn't just part on and part off. He's all the time. And even right now. If Jesus were to step back foot on this earth today, in which case I wish it was right now, man, I'm Maranatha, amen. We should start saying that. I was, you know, I I have a habit sometimes of saying, you know, be careful or be safe. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It's just kind of something I say. I'm going to start saying Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus or come quickly Lord Jesus. We should start saying that. When you close a conversation down Maranatha, try that with your boss. You know, he said something in Hebrew. I don't know what it was. It's Aramaic actually. But Jesus is our evident and existent commander. He's not. Listen, I don't know how to say this any clearer. I love. I'm trying Jeff. So, I, this is my Bible. I, I love my Bible. This is my one most prized possession on earth. Okay? This isn't... This, uh, the, the physical part of it is not my faith. If I lose it, I'm like, Oh, I have no God now. No. <laughs> this is in here. Because He, Jesus, is all of this. And he, which is all of this, lives in here. Clear as mud? Okay. Because that's how it works. Because I have the fellowship of Jesus, the eternal life. I am walking in him. He is walking in me. That is what it means to be a Christian. I... 36 years ago, I gave him my life, my yuck, my junk, my sin, and he gave me his life, eternal life. And everything that I read here in print, the word, the ideas, because words convey ideas, words contain truths, and all truth is from God, he is in here. So if I lose my Bible, it's okay. I mean, I would hate that. But he's in here. Because he is the word of life. When the, communi- when the communists always come in to finally take over everything and, and say enough, they always shut down the Christians. And one thing they love to do is build, or is build big bonfires of Bibles. And on one hand, it's really sad, right? But you have to understand. One thing they just can't seem to comprehend is Christians have the commander of the army of the Lord inside of them. So you can burn their bibles if you want to, but you cannot burn the spirit of the living God out of them. You kill their body. They're just going to go be with the Lord and come back on a white horse and he's going to clean your house. Okay? Cuz that's what's going to happen. And that's that's the Maranatha part, right? So the commander of the army of the Lord is who indwells us. And they can burn the Bibles, they can burn our bodies, but they cannot extinguish the very life of God as He dwells in His children. Because He's eternal. He's eternal. I want to close with a couple songs. This is an old hymn book that Brother Ray heard gave me. It's 1958, I think. Before I get to it, I kept thinking about the 2003 song from Casting Crowns, What If His People Prayed? Listen to these words. What if his people prayed and those who bear his name would only seek his face and turn from their own ways? What if the armies of the Lord picked up and dusted off their swords, vowed to set the captive free and not let Satan have one more? What if the church for heaven's sake finally stepped up to the plate, took a stand upon God's promise and stormed hell's rusty gates? I mean, I love that. And then we get into this old hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. This is uh, Charles Wesley is written in 17, somewhere between 1707 and 1788. Listen to these words. There's three refrains. Soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on. Strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. 1 John 1. Strong in the Lord of hosts, commander of the army, Lord of hosts, and in His mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror. Stand then in His great might, with all His strength endued, but take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God, that having all things done and all your conflicts, conflicts past ye may overcome through Christ alone and stand entire at last. From strength to strength, go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. Still let the Spirit cry and all His soldiers come till Christ the Lord who reigns on high Shall take the conquerors home. Maranatha. Who is Jesus to you today? Is he just somebody you read about in the character of what we know as the book called the Bible? Well, if he is, I want to tell you something. This is unlike any character you've ever heard about. He lives. Jesus wasn't a was, he is. He lives. He lives in me, and He lives in many, 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 many of you. And He's coming back again. Only this time, He's going to look a whole lot different. Yeah, He's commander. And the sword will go out of His mouth, and He will vanquish His enemies, and behind Him will be all of His saints. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who died to set your soul free? Do you know Christ I mean I, I I don't know how to explain any more than just to say the relationship of truly being born again is so alive and so real and so palpable that to there's no way to separate it from from the person who knows christ it's there Jesus is the My life. But that didn't happen until I repented of my sin and and asked him to save me. And he did. So if you don't know Christ today, wherever you are as JT comes, I want to encourage you. Pray. Repent of your sin. The day is dark and darkening. But Christ is great and gracious. Receive Jesus and be saved and Christian. You need strength. Clothe your put your armor on. Serve your commander. Stand fast. Hold fast. And and join the ranks. There's a work to be done. Are you prepared? Whatever the Lord is leading you to do today, during these next few moments, if you need to come and pray at this altar, come and pray. If you need to receive Christ and need help talking about that, let me know. But whatever it is today, just be obedient to the Spirit of God.